0: Hmm. I go to two weddings in two weeks, and that makes me nuptial.
1: I think so. I think that qualifies.
0: So basically, basically, I'm all about weddings.
1: Why not? Are you? Yeah, you are all about weddings. Yes, absolutely.
0: I've been a best man twenty times, or uh, I was your best man, in fact. Sorry. Uh. uh and I've been to two weddings. I've been to three weddings this year. Wow. Four if we count yours last year. That's a lot of weddings. You
1: a pretty rough life if you weren't in favor of weddings. Oh yeah.
0: If I was a typical modern person who finds weddings disgusting and marriage awful?
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's 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 true. But I uh although to be fair back when I had oh, 13 or 14 or 15 best manhoods under my belt, a uh, Hungarian individual who should go nameless made the comment that I'd become a sort of matrimonial charon, rowing my closest friends across the sticks, dumping them on the other shore, and <laughs> pulling out, waving goodbye, yeah, I'm laughing. That's not very nice.
1: That's, that's pretty dead on, actually, now that he said that. That's really eloquent. I think... What a cruel thing to say.
0: A matrimonial charon dumping his best friends (laughs) on the other side and
1: rowing away laughing. That's whoever that guy is. He is a poet. What a beautiful mind. Did that. Is that how you
0: (laughs) felt at the end of your wedding that I was waiting? (laughs) Good time, kids. Is that how you felt? Enjoy the honeymoon. Real life is waiting. Is that what you thought? That, wow. I, I have not what to say. Gosh, that's poetry. That's calumny. It's scurrilous, is what it is. Absolutely scurrilous. It's more scurrilous than Atlantis. <laughs> that's right. All right. All right. Let, let me ask you a question. Which do you consider more scurrilous, Atlantis or Lemuria? Lemuria. Wait.
1: Yeah, Lemuria.
0: On what basis do you do you find Lemuria to be filled with scurrility?
1: It the con the shape of the con. So it's like the so for those of you who don't know, it's like the Atlantis of the Pacific. But like on maps, this thing looks absolutely huge. And sure, it was gigantic. But you're saying it's a myth. I'm saying I abide by modern scholarship. Who's the case uh, on this?
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, well that's true. There was no such place as Lemuria. Where did the Lemurians on Mount Shasta come from? Smart guy. Liars, cheats,
1: people who are trying to people who own property in Mount Shasta and want to sell it to suckers.
0: What a horrible <laughs> <one to say. laughs> What a terrible thing to say. I mean, think, think of all the... <laughs> think of all the deep religious movements that have really gotten behind Lemuria. The great I am, the theosophists, uh, 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 Rudolf Steiner, the anthroposophists, the Church Universal and Triumphant. Are you going to tell me all those people were lying or making it
1: up? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, they're all scamming people out of money. They're all just trying to make a buck, Charles. So basically, you're telling me that all
0: of these different religious groups are selling Mount Shasta like like some sort of prize pig. Yes.
1: Exactly. Right. Yeah.
0: Okay. I guess maybe. I don't know. I just think that to be more enlightened. I mean, look, I have looked at what Wikipedia says about both Lemuria and Atlantis, and they accuse it all of being pseudoscience, pseudo history, pseudo archaeology. Uh, these are the kind of people that don't believe Eric von Denikin and the ancient astronauts. The, wait, what? The
1: ancient astronauts? The ancient astronauts, you know,
0: uh, all of our world civilization came to us from ancient astronauts. I
1: thought there was ancient aliens. I thought there was like some sort of yeah, show on the History Channel.
0: Saying. Yeah, ancient mm-hmm. aliens. Well, th- that's how you know it's true if it's on the History Channel.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. So you're telling me that ancient aliens are are more true or less true than Atlantis and Lemuria.
1: I think ancient aliens is as false as Lemuria, but I'm I have not heard convincing arguments about Atlantis, and um, uh, I am more agnostic on on uh, on Atlantis. I, I have not closed the book. Oh, really? Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, then let me ask you to explain this. If there is no Lemuria. How did Los Angeles have a, a, a secret tunnel city built by the lizard people?
1: Well, who are you said, gonna say that's a myth? Cite your sources. Oh wow! This is pseudoscience, pseudo history, <laughs> pseudo archaeology, right here in action. No, no, you're, you see, are about see, to.
0: You're gonna regret this. All right. You are really going to regret this. I'm so sorry. What
1: you're doing is not academic or scientific. Your methods are quite, (laughs) to to be quite frank, they are unsound. Well, he says you. (laughs) This this is from,
0: listen carefully to this. This is from the Los Angeles Almanac. Okay? And this, by the way, this is, it's quoting the LA Times, so you know it's true. In in 1933, mining engineer George Warren Schufeld related stories told to him of Hopi legends describing a race of lizard people who 5,000 years ago built three great underground cities near the Pacific coast, including one beneath Los Angeles. The cities were said to have been built underground as protection against great cataclysmic fires on the surface. He took up the cause of locating the city beneath Los Angeles. He reported that this underground city was laid out in the shape of the revered lizard, extending from its head under northeast Los Angeles to its tail under the downtown central library. The ancient builders, more advanced intellectually than modern humans, tunneled through rocks using chemicals and constructed huge dome caverns, housing a thousand families. The underground city was further connected by a series of additional tunnels to the ocean, where the ebb and flow of seawater forced air into the labyrinths. How their civilization came to an end was unclear. In 1934, Schufeld, who incidentally developed a device he called a radio x-ray, announced that he had located tunnels in a treasure room containing gold objects beneath Fort Moore Hill in downtown Los Angeles. After acquiring funds to do excavating, Schufeld obtained permission from the authorities, meaning the LA City Council, smart guy, agreeing to split the value of his finds with the county to drill a 350-foot shaft. The work was interrupted by cave-in concerns, however, and by spring ground to a halt when funding and media attention ceased. Shortly thereafter, Schufeld disappeared from public view. Well, I'll tell you something. This Taking Schufeld's thing is gospel. Do you know what the center of the Lizard City was, where it really was, the, the, the very... Focus of it all?
1: I don't know. Two hundred feet under, um, Criswell Cathedral.
0: So- Are you really going to tell me that mystic emanations coming up from beyond didn't govern the building of the LA Cathedral and made it look like something out of the you know, Lizard People City beneath it?
1: So the LA Almanac.
0: I saw five million years to Earth. Hey, I,
1: am I, am I, if I go to the, the the library in Los Angeles and it's like, hey, you know, where's a good – what's a good reference book to find information on the city of Los Angeles? They're going to give me this almanac yes, the, with the lizard people in it?
0: Definitely. <laughs>
1: <laughs> definitely. <laughs> definitely. So I'm telling you, the fact is
0: that the city of Los Angeles... Now, the relationship between the lizard people and the Lemurians is, to me, unclear, except that they both begin with L. And that's got to stand for something, doesn't it? Lucky?
1: What's Lemuria named after? I don't understand. Well,
0: actually, according to the so-called real scientists the It was noticed that uh, in India and Madagascar, you both had you had in both places these odd creatures that are sort of primates called lemurs, lemurs. yeah So the idea was that there must have been some sort of a bridge between them geographically, and they called that Lemuria. Hmm. But then the people who were uh, more directly in touch with the psychic uh, masters on the higher planes, Transferred it from the Indian
1: Ocean to the Pacific. Okay, so well, I mean, so lizard people, Lemurians—they're both based off animals. They both uh, begin with L. So I have a question from your 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 truth bomb that you dropped on us. <laughs> yes, I, I very good. I
0: dropped the
1: truth bomb. Yes, I did, and I'm
0: proud of it. So A lovely truth, Bob. That begins with L too.
1: So, this guy was drilling down to get into the tunnels, like yeah. he wanted to drill down. He did, and to get to the treasure room or something. Yeah. So, but then he, you mentioned that the city council, the LA City Council, was gave its approval or cooperation with that. They sure did. What city council was that? What year was this? 1933. People put their names on this in the city council, like, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna allow no. this man to drill down a hundred feet to get to the Lemurian Gold Room. Or the Living People right. gold room. Wow. Wow. But
0: you're saying they're smarter than the LA City Council in nineteen thirty three.
1: So nineteen thirty three. So when was the battle what, what year was the battle of Los Angeles?
0: That was in nineteen forty two. So nine years later. But the, uh, let's see, these here are the people that you are calling frauds and morons. Uh, let me see. Angeles City Council, 1933. Uh, let's see, where is they? I mean, these people were the very best money could buy.
1: They're probably all white guys.
0: Well all right. They were Howard W. Davis, Jim Wilson, Stephen W. Cunningham, Robert L. Burns, Byron B. Brainerd, uh Earl C. Gay, see, he was interesting. Howard W. Davis was the president of the council. Uh Evan Lewis, George W. C. Baker, E. Snapper Ingram, there's a name for you. Uh Charles Winchester Breedlove. I like that. John W. Baumgartner. Darwin William Tate. That guy was named after Darwin. He knew science. And Franklin P. buyer He knew uh, about elections.
1: Other than Breedlove, I don't know about any of those guys. Those are pretty generic names. Pretty weird. You're saying they were morons. In this instance, yes. Ah. <sighs> You know, it is
0: this spirit of disbelief and incredulity that is destroying America's young people.
1: Um, that's debatable. How can you look
0: a four-year-old in the face and say to her, "You don't believe in the city of the lizard people"? How could you do that?
1: <laughs> I know, I'm a monster. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, I would say.
0: You know, where where does this end? I mean, next you'll be saying there's such a thing as
1: women that can be defined. Oh. What? That's, that's a low blow, Charles. Well,
0: I don't know. It's, ladies and gentlemen, we're a little bit discombobulated here in the wonderful world of the Tumblr House Tower. Just because everything has gotten so crazy on the outside this week.
1: That's right. I think you should have lowered
0: the drawbridge or raised it or something.
1: No way, man. Better safe than sorry. Hope for the best, plan for the worst.
0: Uh, well, actually, that's that's really good advice. <laughs> That's what Officer Clancy always did before That's he became right. the chief of police. And look look what happened to him. You know, now there's a question. Now that he's the chief of Arcadia, the Arcadia PD.
1: Yeah.
0: Does that put him in a special relationship with City Hall? Yes, it does. <laughs> ah, you know, an officer of be would be a terrible thing if something were to happen to
1: you, you know. Well, I don't know if – that's the ideal approach, you know. You catch more flies with honey, you know.
0: Well, Your I mean, Honor, you know, that's a beautiful car you've got. I'll make sure we've got folks to check it out to make sure there's no mechanical difficulties, as you
1: might say. You know, I mean, it's it's like drug bus, right? I mean, you want to clean up the city. You want to you want to clean up, uh, get drugs out of the city. Well, it you rains know, it's or, are, yeah.
0: It's it was interesting you mentioned that because. Um, our city councilman uh, Newhall, there in Arcadia, he was just the uh, drug busted. They found drugs in his car.
1: Wow, felony quantity. Yeah. What's up? Felony quantity? Like, is he selling or what? It's just like, he's, well, he's
0: no. It's like... it's just that he had raised questions as to uh, as to Clancy's uh, competence. Oh, as uh, as chief of police. And wouldn't you know it, it turned out that he was at the center of a million dollar drug bust.
1: Well, I mean, clearly, about a week later, uh, clearly, um you know, he was scared, you know, because he knows Clancy's an honest cop and he's on the hunt and he's not like, sure. oh, no, they're going to get me. And guess what? He got got. <laughs> exactly.
0: That, there's a lesson to that for all of us, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> you mind your p's and q's, and you're in Arcadia, California. You're gonna go the way Councilman Newhall did, because justice in Arcadia knows no class, no boundaries. Justice will be served on a plate, <laughs> big, big heaping spoonfuls of justice. Yeah, <laughs> and we're all in line to get some of that. Uh, some of that justice. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> fill up your
1: plates with justice ladies and gentlemen stand in line all right let's leverage this into the memes of production i thought we didn't have any oh well we have some comments we're gonna do some comments all right what do we got um we've got uh, one from don from florida by way of the bronx uh, he oh, says, good. Word is poor old Rose has been working around the clock cleaning up all the cocoon remnants from the estivation. All she does is roam the halls with her vacuum and duster, shaking her head in confusion.
0: Well, that's not a surprise. You notice that she's got little strands of uh, cocoon silk in her hair. I'm not surprised she's confused. I wonder where it came from. Yeah, well.
1: Connor says, forget whatever notions I had about a great summer. I now dream of a Californian summer. Just imagining going on a picnic with my family in our summer finest. And the family next to you gets beamed up suddenly and you embrace your family because now you truly understand that as the poor abducted family next to you now understands the good times don't last forever and every moment is precious.
0: That's very, very true. And those good times that do last forever generally mean you've been stuffed and waxed.
1: Little creepy. All right, moving on. <laughs> uh, another uh, comment from Tobacco uh, Tampa tobacconist who has a bone to pick with you, Charles. So Our. he he says, "I enjoyed Charles's recent discussion of American comfort food, but I have it on good authority." That there has been grumbling and mumbling on the 13th floor because of Charles's startling omission of Chicago-style hot dogs. That these magnificent meats, these fantastic franks, these genuine bovine delights were omitted is all the more upsetting since their supplier, Vienna Beef, was founded by immigrants from Austria-Hungary. Can Charles please write this wrong? perhaps by telling us about his favorite European sausages or by being forced to sing the Oscar Mayer Wiener song, In Atonement.
0: Well, firstly, let me point out that Chicago hot dogs are generally served without ketchup. So? I want that to hang in the air. Well, a lot right. of people love ketchup. With the hot
1: dogs. I don't like ketchup on hot dogs.
0: Well, then you'd love Chicago-style hot dogs. They don't have ketchup. The Good. second thing you should bear in mind is that as far as sausages go, my favorite sausage, in truth, and I don't want anybody to get all disgusted. It's boudin, blood sausage.
1: Is that a UK thing?
0: No, it's French. Oh. And French Canadian.
1: Oh, I'm thinking Although, of blood
0: pudding. I'm thinking. Well, blood pudding, blood pudding is very similar to hmm. boudin, to be honest with you. Oh, interesting. Now, interestingly, also in uh, the Cajun country. Uh, What they call Boudin is not made with blood. It's uh, because the state of Louisiana forbade them to use it in the 20s. So they just did everything else and just didn't put the blood in. So they have this sort of whitish, very delicious, but not that. And now, which is sort of repetitious to the non-Cajun ear, if you're French, they call... Uh, Boudin made the original way Blood Boudin Which is kind of like saying Blood Blood Sausage
1: Hmm.
0: Anyway But nevertheless although I've said that You will get your musical treat You ready? Ready Oh I wish I was an Oscar Mayer uh, Wiener That is what I truly want to be Cause if I was an Oscar Mayer Wiener Everyone would be in love with me. Nice. Now, notice Oscar Mayer wiener, not a weenie.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: People say weenies and they mean weeners, but we all know that a real weenie is typical of the people that run the show in most countries today.
1: That's right. Weenies. Yeah, we live in Weenie Central.
0: Oh, God. Yes, David. <laughs> Anyway, moving along
1: all right moving along um no
0: state of the week
1: uh, We'll get to that. We have one more um, item before state of the week. Uh, okay. a, a person with the moniker too young to be a curmudgeon says dear Mr. Frankie don't
0: you believe that kid? I was a curmudgeon at age eight. You can do it whatever you want but go ahead
1: okay. Uh he, he um they say, Dear Mr Coulomb and Mr Francini, first off it was a great pleasure to meet Mr Culom when he was back at home in July and paid a visit to my church. He was so gracious as to invite me to the tour the Tumblr House Tower, and I know he would have introduced us to Mr. Francini, were the boss not just then away on a very important business trip. Indeed. The staff there had nothing but the highest praises to sing for him. <laughs>
0: Also, I'm um, sure. See, everybody, yeah, uh, <laughs> everyone knows that everyone uh, values their job. Our approval
1: rate is immaculate. Um. All right. Anyhow, um, I was also pleasantly surprised by the gift shop. Unlike many gift shops filled with cheap and cliche stationery, this one had things you actually need and can put to use right away. That's ha- for sure. And having always been what you might call an Officer Clancy skeptic. I was delighted to meet the legend in person as he was just coming away from dealing with a mob of looters in the style of Christ saving the woman who was to be stoned. He spoke with moving grief about how unfortunate it was that the abandoned loot was quite damaged and could not therefore be returned. But like the good public servant he is well deserving of his recent promotion, he wasted no time in cleaning things up. Secondly, I may travel this autumn to Boston May Charles give us his advice as to where and how one might spend a week or two in that area. It would be much appreciated.
0: Well, I'm happy to. Firstly, it was great showing you around the tower, and I uh, i don't know if, if you remember going up to see the meditation garden, but that was quite something. And then uh, I remember it was, it was very odd. The elevator stopped on the 13th floor, and the door opened, and then... Uh sorry, what were we talking about?
1: Um you were going over the trip, um, the recent trip to you're showing them around Tumblr House?
0: Oh, oh yeah, right. So he ooted out at the gift shop, then he wanted to see the meditation garden. So we got into the elevator, pushed the button, up we go, stopped at the thirteenth floor, the door opened, and then I'm sorry, what were we talking about?
1: Uh, He was asking about Boston. Uh, Can you give some advice on where uh, a person might spend a week or two in that area?
0: Indeed, Mm -hmm. I could. And in fact, I shall. Boston and and its environs are amongst my favorite places in the United States of America, despite the unfortunate history around the revolution. Nevertheless, the revolutionary sites are amongst the things one wants to see. So, first thing you want to remember when you go to Boston is the so-called Freedom Trail. You start in the beautiful, beautiful first public park of the United States, Boston Common. You follow the Freedom Trail, you see Park Street Church, you come by, amongst other things, King's Chapel, which is probably my favorite non-Catholic church in the United States. Because King's Chapel started life as the Anglican Chapel of the Royal Governor, hence the name King's Chapel, the Chapel of the King. And you, they still have the Royal Governor's pew with the canopy and all that. So I, I like that, monarchist that I am. Uh, just outside is a martyr. The Catholic martyr, the Chevalier de Saint-Sauvin, the Knight of the Holy Savior, illegitimate son of Louis Fifteenth, who was killed during the Revolution when a, the French fleet came to back up the rebels against the king. Uh, and one of the things they had to do was offer mass for the French troops. But Calvinist Boston didn't like this idea, even more so. <laughs> they didn't like the procession with the Blessed Sacrament that went from the ship to King's Chapel, which had a sort of altar and all that, so they could offer Mass on it, um, every day. And one day the mob attacked the, uh, the procession. The Chevalier successfully saved the Blessed Sacrament from the mob, but was killed in doing so, and they buried him right in front of King's Chapel. And the interesting thing is that the obelisk on top of him doesn't tell you why or how he died. It just expresses the wish that this sort of thing would never happen again. And the third reason I think it's really amazing is because it is the first Unitarian church in America. Now, most Unitarian churches, if not all, came out of a, in America anyway, came out of a split in the Congregational Church. When they got over Calvinism, they just went the other way and threw everything out with the bathwater. But King's Chapel after the Revolution was left to the Congregation uh, Voted in a uh, not a priest, but a reader, an Episcopal reader, an Anglican reader, as their pastor. He was infected with Unitarianism, and so in 1785 they had a refer a referendum on the Trinity, and the Trinity lost. So they took their pens and their books of Common Prayer, and they crossed out all the references to the Trinity, the way they had crossed out the references to the King a few years earlier. And so to this day. King's Chapel describes itself as a church that is Anglican in liturgy, congregational in polity, and Unitarian in theology. And only in Boston could you say that with a straight face. But wait, there's more. Nearby is, uh, apart from the Parker House, where chocolate chip cookies were invented. Parker House cookies? Actually, it's Parker House rolls. The Chocolate chip cookies came from the Toll House, which is another restaurant in the hinterland. But anyhow, Parker House rolls were rented in the Parker House. So you will come to the old State House. And the old State House was uh, the center of the colony. You see the lion and the unicorn there, and it's where both the accession of King George III and the Declaration of Independence were read from the Terrace. Uh, you keep going, you'll come to Faneuil Hall Marketplace, which is a great spot, although my beloved Durgan Park restaurant there uh, closed down a few years ago. You cross the Charles River, you come into Charlestown, you come to the Bunker Hill Monument and the Bunker Hill Museum. Also, the USS Constitution, Old Ironsides, is on the, on the trip. Uh, there are a lot of other things, though, not just uh, colonial stuff. Oh, and I forgot. The Old North Church, uh, Episcopal Church, one of by land, two of by sea, and I on the opposite shore will be. You have our old friend Paul Revere, and you have Paul Revere's house in the North End, which is also on the on the tour. Um, the Catholic Cathedral, where the Latin Mass is offered, is Holy Cross. Um, unfortunately, the Church of the Holy Trinity was shut down a few years ago, which was one of my favorites the Catholic Church of the Holy Trinity. If you're a big Anglo-Catholic fan, uh, there are two churches in the Boston area that are worth seeing. One is the Church of the Advent on Beacon Hill. Uh, Beacon Hill is where you could see, uh, actually, several relatives of our beloved uh, uh, Vinnie Frankini. Aunt Helen lives there. um, Aunt Helen Slingsby. And uh, cousin Nancy Ellicott lives there.
1: Charles, these people don't exist. What about cousin Harriet? She especially doesn't exist.
0: Okay. Well, anyway, they don't exist. But if they did, they'd be close relatives of anys. What? What? Well, they would if they. Uh, all right. Forget. Okay. Sure. Anyway. So uh, that's amongst very few of the things you have to see in Boston itself. Go a little bit further out into uh, into Cambridge, Mass, and you're running to Harvard University, which. Is worth seeing. Uh, you'll also see the uh, uh, well. How do I put it? You'll see the Unitarian Church, the Congo Church, and the Episcopal Church in Cambridge, all of which are colonial era. Uh, and then the world—it it gets wild. You get out to Lexington and Concord. Uh, Lexington—they've got the uh, Lexington Battlefield, you know, Lexington Common where the The shot shot heard around the world, the beginning of the revolution there, and Concord Bridge. In Concord, also, you'll see the houses of Louisa May Alcott, uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne, and people like that. Now, let's say you wanted to go... Oh, and in Concord, I also should point out, is the Colonial Inn, which goes back to colonial times. It's a great place to eat. Go down to Sudbury, and you'll come to one of my personal favorite places in the whole wide world which is the Wayside Inn, made famous by Longfellow, which I, I, really, I really love the Wayside Inn. Uh, and let me see. If you went south, you'd come to Plymouth Plantation, which is a reenactment place for the pilgrims. They have the Mayflower dot in Plymouth, the Mayflower 2, which is also reproduction. And Plymouth Rock, where the pilgrims landed go north go to the opposite direction you'll come to marblehead and to salem and if you're really into witches well salem is your place and by witches i don't mean ihm nuns despite the resemblance i mean the ihms of my time not the ones i have now uh, but the salem witch museum is pretty bizarre but worth seeing uh, if you find yourself in salem the uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne Inn is probably the best place to go. And you'll also see the House of the Seven Gables, which, again, if you're a Hawthorne fan, this is fun stuff. Um, I'm a Hawthorne fan, so I, I like anything to do with him. Uh, let me see. So, yeah, you'll see all that in a week, and you'll have seen quite a bit.
1: All right, Charles, thank you for that. um. Uh... All right, time for state of the week. Oh boy. It's not Massachusetts, is it? Ha ha ha. No, not no. Massachusetts. Uh okay. l- let's do Wyoming this week. Why not?
0: <laughs> Wyoming. Well, I'll tell you. The biggest thing anybody knows about Wyoming and they are correct to know it is Yellowstone National Park, way up in the northwestern corner. Uh, Yellowstone is really amazing. It's uh, old faithful. The guys are the devil's paint pots. To say nothing of the wildlife that you'll see running around there. But there is more than just Yellowstone. Uh, there are a lot of natural wonders throughout Wyoming, but in terms of built heritage, there's the town of Buffalo, Wyoming, whose um, old hotel, I think it's called the Grand Hotel or something, but it was visited by Teddy Roosevelt and a bunch of other people and is a, uh, a really a worthwhile little town. Uh, Casper, Wyoming, in the center of the state, was at one point considered as the state capital. It didn't get it, but it does have a pretty Catholic church and some lovely buildings. The uh, state capital, Cheyenne, is Caddy corner as it were, from Yellowstone. It's down toward the southeastern corner of the state. And Cheyenne's a pretty town. Again, it's worth it's worth seeing. Uh, most of Wyoming, there are Indian reservations, there are a lot of ranches. It's still a very wild country. And if you want a taste of the Old West uh, brought forward to the present, Wyoming's your cup of tea. Uh, if you want a lot of old colonial stuff, you're not going to find it in Wyoming. But you will find the spirit of the old West living on, and um, it's it's really quite a nice place. A lot of again Indian uh, Indian reservations and and the parks and everything else. So that's that's what you want when you go to Wyoming.
1: Wow! Ten minutes for the single city of Boston. Two minutes for this, for the whole state of Wyoming. What a sad day! I'm sorry to all you Wyoming residents out there. They would say the same thing. I mean, what do you want me to, what do, you want me to
0: do? Fishing, hunting, camping—it's you know, ranching.
1: It's a, uh, its
0: not a very settled state.
1: Okay, fair it's, enough. It's
0: wonders. are Mostly, uh, you don't you you don't go to Wyoming to soak up historic architecture. They have a bit of it in Cheyenne, a little bit of it in Casper, and mm-hmm. as I say, Buffalo, Wyoming. There are other places like that, but. It's it's primarily a place for soaking up, as I say, the old west and nature. Yeah.
1: Know any good fishing spots?
0: Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> I, fished, I was a boy. I've seen people <laughs> doing it, but I don't know if it's any good. Uh, the uh, no, I, I mean, and people, you know, it's a funny thing. Fewer and fewer people fish or hunt today. Uh, yeah. And you know why?
1: Probably because they can't handle the peace and quiet and silence and reflect on their lives because there's too much horror. All right. And they would
0: have to leave their computers.
1: That too. And they'd have to leave the, their computer porn. I, You know, that reminds me of a time I was out. I was up in the mountains uh, in Azusa Canyon. And I, at the time, I, I had gotten the gold bug. I was uh, doing some gold prospecting. And... Uh, these people, these young teenagers—I'll uh, never forget it. They—I was watching them because I, I was like in Little Creek, you know. I had my little sluice box that was filtering for gold, and um, they were just like completely wandering around, lost. But the it be eventually became apparent to me that the entire point of their going into nature was to take fate of uh, photos posted on uh, social media so they could brag that they went into, into this spot and then that was it. And then they, they went back to their car and, and then they left. That was, they just sort of like went and then they wandered around a little bit, mostly just to take photos. And then I, I, I just, that was so the antithesis of me uh, that I, I just, I'll never forget that. Like how could you just you what you're going into nature and you're not even like you're not even beholding the glory of God's creation you're not even absorbing like anything that's around you. you're still so self-absorbed by the your phone and your camera um, it Whoa. just was so uh, shocking
0: to me well the, the, the test is always what they're taking pictures of. The thing or themselves. Yeah, they, and they're they, too, they the are taking
1: selfies, you know. Oh, they're
0: well. taking selfies. Um, I, I uh, just went out on my way to the wedding that I, I went to, I spoke of, stopped at a place called the Grunesse. I've got to tell you, you know, the the, the uh, scenery in the part of Austria I went into was just incredible. Hmm. Uh, tree-covered canyons, and huge, huge mountains, fog everywhere. You understand after three weeks of bloody heat here, mm. getting up there into the cool sixty degree temperature, misty. Oh man, it was like going to Carmel. It was it was, it was just great getting away from the heat, and then uh, the cool followed us because the the heat wave is broken. Mm. So I'm really happy about that. Anyway, no, well I mean I'm sorry I can't give tell you more about Wyoming. I mean it's just that Wyoming. Yeah, bear in mind that uh, one of my great interests, of course, is colonial history, and Wyoming is very thin on that. Yeah. because uh, what settlement there's been was strictly under the American ages. Mm. Uh, trappers would come, but they didn't leave any permanent settlements in Wyoming. Uh, I mean, it's 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 the Indian reservations uh, are fascinating. The Wind River and all that um, it was all interesting, wonderful stuff. But in terms of, of history, there's uh, there's just not that much there.
1: Uh, that, makes not, hmm? that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah.
0: All um, right. Plus, of course, they've got the uh, there. There is some belief. That uh, close to Yellowstone was a Lemurian temple.
1: Mm. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> All right. Uh, question from <laughs> question from Innocent Smith, Mister Coulomb, What was MK Ultra, and is it worth knowing much about to understand the psychological warfare tactics our lords and Master- masters use today?
0: Well, MK Ultra was a project of the CIA between 58 and 78, uh, which, starting in about 67, was progressively scaled back until it was abolished. But basically, the um, CIA experimented with uh, LSD and other drugs uh, on American citizens without their uh, permission or knowledge. Uh, it was not a good thing. Now, was it... You see, the, the problem you always enter into is that any time the government does something like that, it inevitably breeds more. Any kind of government secrecy will breed even more theories about that secrecy, you know.
1: Wait, will we'll, we'll breed more? Are you saying they'll do more or they'll no, no, be? no, no. I mean, uh, how do I put this? people's well, they, imaginations will expand on it precisely. Now mm-hmm.
0: you get to a problem when government behave like that, that you can't tell the difference. I mean, unless you, unless you really are in a position to know, and I'm not, you're not in a position to know what's real and what's Memorex. We don't mm-hmm. be on a certain point. Um, what is the government not telling us? Well, we know there's a lot of stuff they haven't told us. Um, something like mK ultra, which of course they denied up until it was ended and they were forced to talk about it uh let's just say that does not contribute to your faith in your government and it does not dispel uh conspiracy theorists mm. you know by acting according to the way a conspiracy theorist believes you would act you're not proving him wrong yeah.
1: Well, you know, the one thing, the government, it shows you what the government is like, how Republican and Democrats completely united on Julian Assange yeah. and his, I, I don't really know or care about his politics, but I do care about his mission for greater transparency in what is going on. And he scared the hell out of the entire government. sure did. Everybody was looking over their shoulder. Well, and, you, and know? That, you know,
0: the problem you, you have with citizens is that your problem you have is the government will always have things it has to conceal from the majority of its citizens. But the problem with that, especially if you claim to be a democracy, is that you have to, how do you justify that, philosophically speaking? I mean, it's one thing, it's one thing if you're a monarchy, and you can say, well, you know, the, the king is determined that this is the way it ought to be. And then it's up to him to decide if the security of the realm requires secrecy. But if you're going to say that you're a democracy and that you're answerable to the citizens, you are nevertheless forced to conceal things from them because what if the enemy found out, but how do you justify that, uh, in terms of democracy? You can't, yeah. you run into some really difficult problems, um, and then you get to the point if you do this if you do a lot of this stuff you get to the point to where they're not going to believe you anyway. It's like Area Fifty One.
1: Well, I mean, I, I was thinking, you know, I mean, I think your point is right. There are legitimate areas that should be top secret, um, but I feel like what he was uncovering because see, they don't release WikiLeaks wasn't releasing everything. It was uh, at least I don't think so. Um, it was corruption. It was scandal.
0: It was no, but that those corruptions and scandals are usually covered up in the name of national security. So the question is, who determines what is and what isn't? It's a very difficult. It's a very difficult area, and I mean, also notice that intelligence operations uh, dealing with you know, whatever enemies we are supposed to have. Intelligence always relies upon corruption. Hmm. They always used to say the that intelligence depended upon the two H's, heroin and homos. Really? Well, yeah, because how, how do you get mid to even high-ranking officials of another country to do your spying for you? Well, you through blackmail basically, and that's just how it's how Zoe it is done, and that's
1: how it's you know proceeded. Um, well, in this age, how would that work? Because I don't feel like either would be a scandal anymore.
0: Well, it might make things difficult, I guess. But uh, traditionally, um, well, I mean the the, the great um, paradigm was the Redel Affair before World War Two or World War I. Uh, the deputy chief of Austrian intelligence was a Captain Redel who was married but uh, had, you know, gender issues. So he was seducted by a Czech photographer fellow who was in the pay of the Russian uh, uh, Russian uh, intelligence. And he turned over a lot of, he got a lot of information out of Redel Which he was, you know, once the the when the when the lovin' stopped, the the blackmail began, and he was able to compel Radel to turn over a bunch of stuff that Russia used in the First World War, and the Austrians were never able to figure out the exact extent of what Radel had turned over to the Russians. Now, mind you, when it was discovered, Radel killed himself. So they they were they they didn't know what the Russians knew, and this would have terrible repercussions for Austria in this in the uh, First World War. Hmm. So, I I mean, uh, and it's not as though uh, the vast majority of not every intelligence service in the world uses stuff like that if they can. I think. In other words, I, I would not be surprised to find that Austrian intelligence, if they could have pulled something off like that with the Russians, would have done so.
1: Hmm. All right. Um, question from Cal. Uh, he says Hello, Vincent and Charles. My question today pertains to the Sons of Liberty from the American Revolution. Being raised with the American civic religion, I was taught that the Sons of Liberty were courageous freedom fighters attempting to throw off the yoke of the British monarchy. Now, understanding that Americanism is a condemned heresy and the anti-Catholic sentiments of early America, I suspect there, that there is a deeper backstory to the Sons of Liberty than what I had been originally taught. Could Charles please give a brief summary of the organization's founding ideology and modus operandi? Furthermore, should a Catholic view them as indispensable to the founding of our country or something more akin to an 18th century Antifa? (laughs) Well,
0: uh, firstly, you're right. They were something of an 18th century Antifa. They were started in Massachusetts by people like John Hancock and so forth. And they were originally used to discourage um, and to intimidate supporters of the government. Now, this, let's put this in a little bit of context, shall we? Let's say that you're living in, oh, I don't know, the United States. And you're loyal to the government in Washington, to the Constitution. It's the government you've lived under. Maybe you're a veteran. Maybe your father was a veteran. You're American. And, you know, that's it. But then a group decide that they are going to take, uh, they're going to change the government or they're going to take your state out of the Union. And they set up a new government, and they require everyone to take an oath of allegiance to it. And if you don't, then your house could be burned or attacked, your business could be uh, shut down, or you could be literally tarred and feathered, if not killed. And let's remember that being tarred and feathered, we use it all the time as kind of a joke, but it was no joke. You'd have hot tar poured all over you. You're stripped naked. You have steaming hot tar purring in your hair, your face, all over your body. And then you have these feathers stuck on you. And then you're put on a rail. Now, remember, you're naked. And if you're a man, stop and think about this for a second. A rail. Yay, thick. You're sitting on it. Think of what that will do to your genitalia. And they ride you out of town. Now that was what the Sons of Liberty would do with the suspected loyalists. And this was before there was even an outbreak of fighting at Lexington and Concord. Uh, If you go to Cambridge, Massachusetts today, there's a street called Brattle Street. And it's lined with these beautiful houses. They were all built before the revolution. And that section of Brattle Street is called Tory Row. The reason is that one night in 1774, the Sons of Liberty, a secret society founded by, as I say, Hancock and people like that, chased them out of their homes. And they had to flee Cambridge and go into Boston. This, you know, they wouldn't swear allegiance to the Congress, and so they were punished. Um, they were friends of government. And that's what they were called, Friends of Government. And they were treated in that fashion. You know, I I had a very strange experience some years ago. There is a house uh, on uh, Brattle Street called, now it's called the Longfellow National Monument because the poet Longfellow lived there. It was a beautiful house. But during the siege of Boston uh, by the uh, rebels, Washington had his headquarters in that house. But it was built by uh, Colonel and Mrs. Vassell. So Colonel and Mrs. Vassel built this house, uh, and they were chased out of it in 1774. And eventually they had to go to England. Now, mind you, they're native-born Americans. So they go to England. Well, years and years later, I'm in England. I'm in London, staying in Allen House, which is the uh, Catholic seminary in Chelsea, part of London. Uh, across the Thames is a section called Battersea. And they have a church called St. Mary's Battle an Anglican Church, and it was the um, a place where the poet William Blake was married, which is why I wanted to see it. So I cross the bridge or across the Thames, I find the church, and the sweet Anglican church lady says to me, uh, oh, I, I suppose you're here for the American connection." And I said, "I had no idea there was an American connection. She says, "Oh, yes, well, it's where Benedict Arnold is entombed." And they have a window to him in the church, which is kind of interesting to look at. But as I wandered around looking at the graves, I noticed a lot of old Boston names. And there I found the graves of Colonel and Mrs. Vassal, whose house on Brattle Street I had stood in years before. So there they died 3,000 miles away from the home that they worked so hard to build and did so well with that it's still there today. Uh, chased out of their homes by the Sons of Liberty. And it really, they really hit me very, very hard. You know, and then I, I realized that Battersea had been a place where the American refugees in London settled. See, we forget that. We forget that 100,000 Americans or more had to leave because of the revolution. And they went to Canada and the Bahamas and Sierra Leone if they were black, or they went to England or other parts of the empire. Uh, Some of the brightest and best the colonies had ever produced were lost to the new country. Although a lot of Loyalists did stay behind, uh, most notably the families of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton and her husband, they're both Loyalist families. But... um, no, when you when you reflect on the treatment that the Loyalists got, it was pretty miserable. And again, their crime was simply holding on to the same government that they had known all their lives. That was their sin. Uh, John Adams, who cannot be accused of maximizing Loyalist numbers, said that when the war broke out, A third were against independence, a third were in favor of it, a third were indifferent. Well, even taking that, only a third of Americans were keen on fighting the war. So please don't talk to me about democracy and the representation of the governed. Our revolution, like everyone else's, was a revolution from the top by the dominant oligarchy in each of the colonies, done to some degree, in concert with the Whig oligarchy in England and eventually backed up by the French and Spanish, which is why it succeeded. And that, incidentally, is why our first Civil War was won by the rebels, and our second Civil War was lost by rebels because they did not have foreign intervention. Hmm. Having said that, Does that mean, I think, that the United States are a terrible nation, uh, born in genocide and built on slavery? No. That's the flip side of American exceptionalism. That's the the wokery is the universalism, the, the Unitarianism, you might say, to American exceptionalism is Calvinism. The flip. No, no, no. The United States are the country where I was born, where my family on my father's side have been for, in my case now, four generations. My mother's side, well, one generation for her dad and uh, a lot more than eight for her mother. Um, But this, this is my country, and I love it more than life itself, but not because its institutions or its ideology are the last best hope of mankind the shining city on the hill just because the united states are my country and the best way for a catholic american to show his love for his country is not to jump up and down about how wonderful she is though he should try to try to make her that way but it's to try to convert her same for a catholic indian or a catholic japanese that's how you show your love of country when your country's pagan It's the same for our ancestors in the Roman Empire. The Roman Emperor had no more loyal subjects, even when he was persecuting them, than his Christian subjects. And through that loyalty, in the end, they converted the whole empire. Would that we, their successors, show the same love of country that they did?
1: right. Right. Um, we have a um, question from Edward, who says, My father is passing quite suddenly. I was wondering if Charles has any advice and maybe some customs and or traditions for the family to share. If you could keep him in your prayers as well. His name is Rod- Roderick.
0: Well, let's say Hail Mary for Roderick. Okay. The, of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus.
1: Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen.
0: Eternal rest grant unto him, O Lord.
1: And the perpetual let perpetual light shine upon him.
0: May his soul and souls of all the faithful departed, to the mercy of God, rest in peace. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Well, firstly, Edward, deepest, deepest condolences on your father. Um, Speaking from experience, I can tell you, as Vinnie can, uh, especially if you're a man, the death of your father is probably one of the most searing pains you can go through. It's not fun. But as far as customs go, there are quite a number. Um, the most consoling one for me was wearing the morning band for a year, the black band on the left arm. Um, that that required my saying constantly when people would ask, "What's the what's the band for?" My father died. Oh, I'm sorry. What's the band for? My father died. I'm sorry. And this the funny thing about it, you know, you wonder when, like, your postman's mother dies, and you hear about it, and you say, am and you never know her, and you only you barely know him, and you say, "I'm sorry to hear about your mother." You wonder if it makes a difference. Well, having been on the receiving end now, it does. The most casual condolence really does help. It really does. And the thing you have to bear in mind is that, horrible as it is at the moment, it gets better. It takes time. But it'll be better next week. It'll be better next month. It'll be better than that in a year. It'll be better than that in two years. And eventually, the pain becomes a part of who you are. But that's the great thing, as I say, about the morning band. You get used to saying it. Over and over again. In the immediate, a black morning wreath on the door is a nice thing if you can get one. Um, Very funny thing happened when uh, my mother and my brother and I took uh, my father back to Massachusetts to bury him. While we were there, we stopped to see our old house in Westchester County. We don't know the people who live there now or lived there then. But there was a funeral wreath on the door. So apparently someone had died. It was an odd, odd feeling when we saw that thing. Um, The wake, of course, is something you do after the rosary. And wakes vary a great deal depending upon your nationality and your family custom. But that is the time when you want the eulogies, not during the mass. Uh, that's when you get your friends together and you and you re- remember the, remember him and you know, talk about how great he was. That's the time to do it. Is at the wake, and some nationalities drink heavily, some eat heavily. The French Canadians tend to joke a lot. Uh, We did in my dad's wake, much to the shock of one of my Anglo classmates from school who was just, he couldn't believe that we were laughing and joking. And I said, well, you got to bear in mind that in our culture, we talk about death a lot. And so when it comes, you know, we make fun. Uh, I said, my father is dead and my heart is broken. But I know that if he were here, he'd be telling funnier jokes than I ever could. So every nationality, every culture deals with it differently. The Irish love to drink. Uh, I don't know what the Lemurians do. Who knows? Would you like to think about that a while? Maybe explore a little?
1: Let us not explore. Let us not dive down in that rabbit hole. Let us not engage.
0: that's right, fine. Be that way. But the other thing uh, you want to bear in mind, too, is that a month after the funeral, you can have what's called the month's mind mass. And there's the year's the years' mind the seven years' mind. And these are all anniversary uh, requiem masses for your father. Um, and, you know, remember them every All Souls Day. If you have a family plot and you live anywhere near it, uh, go there on all souls. It's a very, a very important thing to do to pray for the dead. Um, and it's also consoling for you. Uh, if you can have the, uh, Gregorian masses said. those are 30, uh, 30 masses said for a given dead person. Um. The name comes from the fact that uh, St. Gregory I had a vision of his predecessor as pope, uh, explaining to him that he would be sprung from purgatory if 30 masses were offered for his soul. So you know, do that. Now, in some older churches, you'll have what are called privileged altars. And masses said for the dead at those altars have particular graces for the deceased among them. Also, you might want to look into various other devotions to the dead, the daily pilgrimage to purgatory and things like that, all of which you can you could say. Um, and then one of the things I can tell you from experience is the older you get, the more loved ones you'll have who are gone. Um, be sure to put the holy card from your father's funeral into your missal. Uh, so that whenever you go to mass, you remember him, and do that with anybody else you like whose funerals you go to. I, I mean, my uh, my missiles are just stuffed with holy cards from funerals now. Uh, that's the price you pay for living long enough. Um, had another friend die this week. It uh, it never ends, you know. You, the older you get, <clears throat> the way it's just the way it is. We have not here an abiding city. Um, if we did, it would be intolerable. Uh, one of the things that makes life livable is the fact that it does change. If we were frozen where we are right now in place with never a way forward, we would hate it. So take with the good, the good, with the bad and please God, Edward, you and your father, Roderick will meet in paradise. As may we all.
1: Hmm. All right. Um, I'm going to do, we're going to do one more episode or one more um, question for this episode. Uh, it's from a uh, Tampa tobacconist. Okay. And uh, he says, um, in studying the lives of, of the saints it seems that saints often met and interacted with other saints such as saint john of, of the cross serving as saint teresa of avila's direct uh, spiritual director likewise i have heard about lay and religious people who have flocked to padre pio while he was still living and were touched in a profound way it seems like towards the end of his life padre pio had become renowned for his holiness and mystical gifts I have often wished I could have been alive to meet Padre Pio, perhaps attending Mass or receiving confession from him. Given Sir Charles's wide and varied travels, I would like to ask whether he has ever encountered similar men or women he considers living saints. Is there anyone still living whom he could publicly name that he would consider a living saint? No.
0: And I, and I have to say, I probably would not recognize such a person if I fell over him or her. Um, I've known people who I consider to be very devout, very pious, but I've certainly never known anyone who was given to the miraculous uh, that I can think of. Um, Or if strange things happened, they were usually quite as... Surprised by them as anyone else, which is not the hallmark of a very intensely holy person. I certainly also knew or met one and knew the other uh, two uh, two men who had met Padre Pio. Um, but I honestly, I've known people who have claimed to have visions, which I can neither. Affirm or deny. I mean, I don't have the discernment of spirits, and I, I, I'm not sufficiently holy myself, to be honest with you, to see that in others. Uh, I knew Cardinal McIntyre very well. He was my confessor, and I suppose if I if I had to nominate somebody, it would be he. But I also know him well enough to know that he'd be the first one to deny it. But of course. You could turn that around and say that's exactly what a saint would do. It's, it's, this is, I mean, if you had known St. Jerome and St. Augustine when they were going after each other and writing nasty notes, I think if, if that was all you knew of them, you'd be hard put to consider either of them a saint. And yet, of course, they both were.
1: Okay, I'm going to press you a little bit on this. Because. Um, I think I, I, I know where Tampa tobacconist is coming from, and I kind of feel the same way. So that's fair. Okay. Um, no living setine, um to your knowledge, or that you would consider? Totally, fi- totally fine. What but – and St. Jerome, St. Augustine? Okay, I can understand that. I feel like of all the saints, Padre Pio is right – is – uh what's the word? Uh most conspicuous. Like he no. has th- th- there's qualities there that are the mo- I mean like who knows how many like uh his dedication to the sacrament of reconciliation.
0: Yeah, uh, know, and um, the curé, the curé Dar was like
1: that. And and we we have not an, and obviously the stigmata. Um Yeah. So it's uh Uh, So I mean, such people
0: exist. I've just never met anyone. uh,
1: Right. So I guess I'm leading into my question: If you lived in Italy during Padre Pio, and well, I guess it's not a fair question, but I it's like, would you consider him? Like, do you think? Do you think you would have recognized him as a living saint if you saw him, or no?
0: I. If he performed objective miracles, and he did, then you're stuck with that. Would I, be, uh, would I be skeptical to start with? Oh, yeah. But the church always is. That's why he got such abuse. Remember, he was silenced for a while. Um, St. Andre Bessette, my great-grandmother knew, uh, he he was did miraculous stuff, and we have her letters talking. Whenever she was put out with her children, her adult children in New Bedford, she'd go back to Montreal and uh, get consolation from Saint Andre Bessette. She didn't know he was a saint. She knew he was a holy man who really was into the faith, uh, and he was her great guide and consoler. The fact that I have never personally known someone like that, other than maybe cardinal mcintyre it just points to my lack of experience it doesn't yeah. it doesn't really tell us anything else and i simply do not trust my own instincts in this area
1: okay all right that'll do it for the show uh, i hope you guys Wait a minute. what
0: do you think there were any lemurian saints No. Do you think any of the Sons of Liberty were Lemurians?
1: I don't think they would self identify as Lemurians, no.
0: All right, what about Lemurian funeral customs? What about them? Anything to say about them? No, do you? No. Uh, What about Lemurians in Boston?
1: I'm against them.
0: What about the Lemurian Freedom Trail?
1: <laughs> um sure. Uh start a Kickstarter and I'll put in five bucks for it. it was Paul
0: Revere Lemurian?
1: In secret? Possibly.
0: One of my land, looked by Sea. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, folks. Uh we're a little short tonight, but Uh, bear with us. Life is difficult and we're actually doing this on the Sunday rather than Saturday. So we're a little pressed, Yeah, but, uh, we're here for you. Uh, I suppose I might as well reveal the terrible truth. Uh, if I haven't already, uh, in the bill, in a week and a half, I'll be going into Ukraine. Um, just be there a little over a week but it's a um, sort of a fact-finding tour and um, obviously i'll i'll when I get back presuming i get back in one piece which i don't plan to go to the uh, to the front ladies and gentlemen so you need not be too worried although i wouldn't mind your prayers either you never know what can happen but um no i'm I, i'll make a full report when When I get back, um, it's you know, ladies and gentlemen, just my my last thought about that, the Ukrainian thing is such a dreadful, awful situation because how do I put this? Everybody wants to make it black and white. Uh, good guys versus bad guys, and what they tend to fight each other over is which are the good guys, which are the bad guys. Well, I'm not going to do that, but what I will tell you is that certainly Ukrainians are fighting and dying and their civilians are suffering. Presumably, uh, Russians are also fighting and dying, and their civilians are suffering to a greater or lesser degree from less than the Ukrainians, of course, because the fighting isn't there. But certainly, um, it's not a a fun time for anybody. And if you multiply that by what's going on in the West – with our weaponized, wokery, dominating everything. It's just not a very, very pleasant time right now in so many ways. And then, of course, if you bring in the current leadership in the church and their war on tradition, uh, you know, you, you 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 feel like exploding. And that's why I think that um, uh, Vinny's idea of moving to Lemuria does bear some merit. You know, going into a whole other dimension as refugees.
1: Yes. So, you know, if you want to donate to the Lemuria Fund. Um, the we, Lemurian we, Refugee you know. Fund. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Only this is Earth refugees going to Lemuria. <laughs> uh, at a, at a prearranged date, we'll all assemble at Mount Shasta and go through the the warp that are maintained by the resident Lemurians there and go to the, the beautiful continent, which is now existent on some other, some other realm or universe Hmm. or multiverse through a wormhole or something like something scientific, Hmm. like wormholes and multiverses and, and, and and interdimensional warps and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Like, and then
0: we'll, we'll all be safe and, and everybody will be safe.
1: I believe that.
0: (laughs) Thank God someone (laughs) does. I don't. Anyway, no, seriously, ladies and gentlemen, the, uh, the only escape we've got ultimately is heaven. And so we've got to make sure that we're worthy of that escape when the time comes. Uh, But if we make it, if we make it to heaven, well, then this world and it's nonsense is the closest to hell we'll ever come. Hmm. Even if we go to purgatory, which God forbid, but, If we go to hell, this is the closest to heaven.
1: All right. And with that.
0: You have a question for me? Is that it? Is that what what you're trying to leave them?
1: What is it if it's Monday? If it's
0: Monday, it's not fun day. It's off the menu. But what about the soul you save? It may very well, very well indeed, be your own. See you next time, guys. God bless all. Take care. See you next week.